Again, it's good to see each of you here this morning, thankful for the Lord's day we have to be together, and grateful for God's goodness and mercy to each of us. I mention again, uh, normally I preach, my normal pattern is to preach through the scriptures, verse by verse and book by book, and beginning back in, I think, the first of this month, I mentioned to our church family that we are in the process of making changes in our church membership and I was going to be addressing that from kind of a topical biblical topical perspective throughout the uh, month of August and probably a few more weeks and we have been looking at that over the past several weeks making a biblical case for local church membership and this morning I want us to look at what I call regenerate church membership is based on people truly being a part of the local church because they have been converted, because they have been regenerated, saved by God's grace. I'm going to visit two passages this morning, the first in Acts 15, the first four verses, and then we'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and look at two verses there. Those will be the two passages that we will look at. Again, these, this is not an expositional message of these two passages, but rather we are looking at a biblical case and a biblical basis for conversion, for people truly being saved in order to become a part of the local church. Recently, I was in a place of business, and the clerk there, whom I know very well, asked me to pray for her unsaved grandson. And then she made this statement to me. I do not know why he will not come and get saved. We have had good services where the preacher did not get to preach, but he just will not come. I told him it was not hard, just come and get saved, end quote. Well, the clerk was right about one thing. It's not hard to get saved. It's impossible to get saved without the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And just because you have what we classify a good service, just because you feel like something is right, does not necessarily mean the work of God is going on in the heart of others. That is why... It takes conversion. It takes the work of God in a man or woman, boy or girl's heart, in order to change them and bring them out of darkness into marvelous light. Over the past several weeks, I have mentioned the membership role here at West Lenore Baptist Church, and it includes several hundred people, and we will make all of that available to you in the weeks ahead. It includes several hundred people, who are good citizens, have great relationships with each other and probably with you and with their family. They have relationships with friends and neighbors. They are people who once attended Sunday school. They attended worship services such as this. Some were active in youth groups. Some even sung in the choir. And like many, they made a profession of faith when they were young, they prayed some prayer, got baptized, joined the church, but then when they got old enough, out from under their parents, 
or something happened in their life when they became a little older as adults, they left Jesus behind. Now, they still say they're saved. They have absolutely no interest in the church. They have no interest in the Christian life. They are still good citizens, basically. But yet, they have no interest in Christ or His church. This group will, I guarantee you, they will believe once saved, always saved, because that's the only anchor they have, is in a profession they made somewhere in life that never changed their life. I grew up in an environment where preachers and churches reacted to that in one of two ways. First, they would say this individual was either backsliding or a very familiar phrase when I was a boy was walking a guilty distance from God, whatever that meant. Most of these preachers did not preach, nor did they believe in lordship salvation. They believed a sinner accepted Christ as Savior, and then later on in life, if they decided they wanted to, they would make Him Lord. Well, scripture says nothing about the latter. Second way they handled it was they would often push for a second conversion or ever how many trips you had to make to the altar or through the baptistry to get it settled. This became very popular. It became very popular among revival preachers and evangelists when they would come to town and set up their tents or have their meetings. And so the unconverted got reassured they were converted when they were not converted and then the converted got unassured whenever they got in those types of meetings. And all this did was assure the unconverted and cause the converted to doubt. It is not that Western Lord Baptist Church has several hundred saved members who are backslid or just unfaithful to church. It is that Western Lord Baptist Church has several hundred lost people who think they are saved. I'm not here to talk about other churches. I don't pastor other churches. I pastor this church. This is our family. This is God's family. And if there is anything that we should be concerned about, it is those who on paper identify with Christ and His church, but in life have no identity with Him whatsoever. After two weeks of looking at select passages from the book of Acts regarding local church membership, Two things are crystal clear. Number one, the first church practiced what we call today local church membership. You won't find that in your Bible, the word membership in that, in that way, used that way. But they were committed to Christ, they were committed to each other, and they gathered with each other in local assemblies on the Lord's Day in order to worship God, to break bread together, to fellowship together, to pray together, to bring their offerings together, and to evangelize. That has been established. We looked at that passage after passage, along with many other things in the book of Acts. The second thing that become crystal clear is that church membership did not precede salvation. Church membership comes after salvation. It comes after conversion. It comes after a person being changed. Saul of Tarsus, his only interest in the church was to persecute it before he was converted and brought to Christ. And these who came together were people who had repented, as Acts 2.41 
and Acts 5, 14, and Acts 11, 21, and Acts 14, 21 through 23, the pattern is there. They received the word, they repented, and they believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So in order to be a part of the church, in order to be a part of Christ, in order for Christ to be in you, one must be converted. Now I want us to look at this this morning in these two passages, that entrance into Christ and His church is dependent upon biblical conversion. I think I told you the story maybe a few weeks ago about uh, a man who was telling, he moved to town, his business moved him to another city, and he and one of his work partners were, were out drinking th that night. They went out and had supper, and they were sitting at a bar, and this new employee asked his boss, he said, can you recommend any good churches in the area? To which his boss laughed and said, we're sitting at a bar drinking here, and you ask me if I know any good churches, why on earth would you want to be a part of the church? And he said, it's good for business. He said, also, he said, my, I bought a house in a little conservative neighborhood. And he said, uh, there's a lot of children in the area that go to church, and I don't want my children to feel alienated. So he wants to become a part of the church for financial reasons and for society reasons. All the wrong reasons. You only become a part of the church when you are born from above. When you are converted, when you pass from death unto life. And that is the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That is His work and His work alone. Look with me this morning in Acts 15, and then we'll go to 1 Thessalonians. Acts 15, 1-4, we'll see the word conversion. It actually appears here once in the text in our New Testament. It says in Acts 15, 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren... And said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, now here's the phrase, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. This morning I want us to think biblically, and I want us to think carefully about the doctrine of conversion from the Scriptures. Now, I won't even scratch the surface of the doctrine in its entirety. That would take months. But the Bible is a book about conversions. And how the converted, how those who are saved by God's grace, how they identify with Christ and His church. All through the Scriptures we find, even in the Old Testament, we find that God creates a people for Himself. And He does that today through conversion. And He adds the converted to His church in fact, if you show me a person who claims to be saved, who claims to be converted, and if you show me what that person thinks about the church, then I will show you their understanding of conversion. They go, the two go hand in hand. And it's my conviction this morning that the primary reason, not the only reason by any stretch of the imagination, 
But the primary reason why a church like ours can have hundreds of people on the roll who have chosen not to identify with the church is simply because they are not converted. They've never truly heard, nor have they ever truly believed the gospel. Maybe they responded emotionally to something. Maybe someone asked them to make a profession of faith. Maybe someone caused them to be motivated to do something. Maybe the music motivated them. Maybe the man preaching motivated them. But when the message of the gospel is received and believed, and the receiving sinner hears that message and through the power of the Holy Spirit repents of their unbelief and confesses Christ as Lord, then and only then is there a true conversion. So it's important that we get our doctrine right about conversion. It's essential to regenerate conversion, church membership, and everything that follows. Has it ever dawned on us that the reason that so many people are having trouble with everything after their profession of faith is maybe they didn't get the profession of faith right? It doesn't mean that once we are truly converted that everything is going to go well. It doesn't mean that the church we become a part of is perfect. That's not the case. It doesn't mean that there's not heartaches and sufferings and difficulties in life. That is true. The early church, we've been looking at some of the things they went through as they served the Lord. But you can't afford to be wrong on the biblical doctrine of conversion. I've chosen these two specific texts for a reason. First of all, here in Acts 15, 1-4, the context or the setting of what I read here is declared in verse 3, it's the conversion of the Gentiles. Now you would think that a bunch of Gentiles who had never heard the gospel and now they're hearing the gospel, the preaching of these apostles, because persecution has scattered the men of God and it has scattered the, uh, the evangelists and they're out spreading the gospel. And uh, these pagans, these unbelievers, these non-Jews are hearing the gospel and they're believing and they're being saved. You would think the church up at Jerusalem and every Jew that heard about it would be rejoicing and they would be thrilled that these people had been saved. But that's not the issue. Christianity has spread, we, he tells us there in the verse, in verse number 3, it, it had spread to Samaria through Judea. Down in the northern Galilee, it went beyond Antioch into Syria, now to Cyprus, what we call today modern-day Turkey. And in these, hundreds, maybe thousands of sinners have now been saved. And so the number of believers uh, outside Jerusalem are outweighing the number of believers inside Jerusalem. And you would think everybody would be just happy, but that's a problem For the first time, there's more Gentiles now in the kingdom of God than there are Jewish believers. You see, the church at Jerusalem was mainly Jewish Christians. And Jerusalem was steeped in traditions of Judaism all the way back to the Old Testament. And the conversion, this conversion in verse 3 that Paul and Barnabas are talking about as they're trying to settle this problem, they're telling everybody about how these Gentiles are turning from sin unto Jesus Christ. But the problem is these Gentiles are not circumcised. And the church at Antioch decides to send Paul and Barnabas and some others down to Jerusalem to discuss this with the apostles and elders. But for our purpose this morning... I want you to note that Paul and Barnabas is declaring in verse 3 
the conversion of the Gentiles. Men and women are being converted to Jesus Christ here in Acts chapter number 15. It's what's happening. This word conversion in your text there in verse number 3, it means a turning about or a twisting. In Greek writing, if you saw this Greek word in Greek literature, it would describe turning one's attention, trying to get one's attention off of one thing unto another. If you were a, uh, a captain of a ship, you might use this same word to talk about maneuvering your ship or changing your position or changing your course. But in our text here in Acts 15.3, the word conversion means that a spiritual turn has taken place in the life of these Gentiles. They have turned from sin to Jesus Christ. If you're saved this morning, that's what happened in your life. You turn from sin unto Jesus Christ. The turning from sin is called repentance. And the turning to Christ is called faith. We turn from sin when we repent that we have disobeyed God. And we turn to Christ when we put our faith in Him. Both repentance and faith are essential elements of conversion. Without either, there is no biblical conversion without repentance and without faith. It's contrary to the New Testament to speak about someone being saved without repenting for sin. This goes back to what I said in the introduction we're down through the years, and over the years, the gospel has just, has just become a little more, people have just whittled at it, and they've just taken away this element and that element to where it comes down basically today is, if you love your mother and she dies and you want to see her in heaven, raise your hand and ask Jesus to save you, and you can see your mother. That is, that is not the gospel. That is not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about conversion. It's not about you having a problem and wanting Jesus to come and help you through that problem and then when the problem is over you shake his hand and say thank you for the help. I may be back if things get messed up again. That is not conversion. These Gentiles were changed. Their lives were changed. They were headed in one direction. Now they are headed in another. They were in darkness. Now they are in light. They were anti-Christ. Now they are Christ. They were anti-God. Now they are His people and His children. And it requires repentance and it requires faith. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Listen to His words. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and He will have mercy upon him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. Jesus invites sinners. Listen to Matthew 11. Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. We talked about that a few months ago preaching through Matthew 11. And then he immediately says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest, ye shall find rest unto your souls. Both Isaiah and Jesus are speaking the language of true conversion with the necessity of repentance 
and faith. Just before our Lord ascended back to heaven, He writes these words, or said these words. Luke recorded them in Luke 24, 46 and 47. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. He said, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You see, here in America, we're raising our good little families, and our children are not little heathens like they are over in Africa or Zambia or over in the Middle East. So all our children need is just Jesus to tweak them a little bit, and they just ask Him to be their friend. No, our children, my children, your children, our grandchildren, all of us, you, me, every one of us, we came in this world sinners, alienated from God, separated from God, had no way to get to God outside of the gospel and His amazing grace. And it's not about making a few bad decisions in life. And it's not about just making the wrong choices in life. We are bent. We are twisted. We are radically out of shape. There's nothing right about us whatsoever. If you put all of our good stuff together, the prophet Isaiah said, all of our righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags in the sight of God. It is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us through His sacrificial atoning work on the cross. It is only through His righteousness that any of us can formerly be one thing and now be something different. And that had happened to these Gentiles. That is what had happened. The preaching recorded in the book of Acts shows the same pattern. After Peter's sermon on Pentecost, Acts 2.37, the crowd asked, what shall we do? And Peter answered, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying unto them, Repent. That message has been lost because people today are only told about the goodness of God and not about the wrath of God. Our God's a good God, He is. But our God is also a consuming fire. And our God is also a God of wrath. And part of the goodness of God, listen, it's the goodness of God, Paul told the Romans, that leads us to what? Repentance. It's the goodness of God's mercy to us. It's the goodness of who God is that He would provide a salvation for us that leads us to repentance. We're living in a post-revival age and a post-church growth age that I lived in and, was, and pastored in. I started preaching in 1973, pastoring in 1976. I've lived through this. I've seen it. I watched churches grow. I watched churches expand, buildings erected, and everything producing and everything increasing on the outside. And people coming and baptismal numbers soaring in the heights. And now we're looking at that generation and we're seeing what Jesus said. That not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will be able to enter into His kingdom. Yes, I understand there will always be tares among the wheat. I understand there will always be people among God's people who are not truly saved. I understand that very clearly. We've already preached on some of that going through the Gospel of Matthew. 
But here in Acts 15, men are converted. And that is what allows men to be a part of the local church. There must be a conversion. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, if you will, for a moment. Chapter number 1, verses 9 through 10. Several years ago, uh, we preached through 1 Thessalonians here. What a wonderful epistle. One of, one of my favorite in the New Testament. It's so, it's so tender and loving. You can see the heart of Paul for these young believers at Thessalonica. They, they were just young and tender in the Lord, and he loved them and cared for them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 9 and 10, and then I'll go back and read verse 8 in a moment. But notice with me, we're looking at the word conversion, and we're going to see a different word translated here in our English text in verse 9. It says, For they themselves... For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Now listen how Paul talks about, listen how he testifies in writing about what happened to these Thessalonians. And how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. We actually have the word conversion in Acts 15, talking about those Gentiles. But here, here is in perhaps one of, the, one of the greatest descriptions of conversion that I know of in all the, all the New Testament. Paul is giving thanks to God for what he sees God doing in the Thessalonians. And he describes something. He describes a change. He says there in verse number 9 that these Thessalonians turned or they were converted. There has a turning taken place in their life. They have been converted. And he says it is because of the gospel. It's because of the gospel. Verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 1. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Paul is saying, when I preached to you and brought to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, it came with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that power of the Holy Spirit is what turns a man. It's what causes a man to be regenerated. It's what causes a man to be converted. He repents, he believes, and now he belongs to Jesus Christ. It is not being worked up in a service that causes a man to be converted. If you can be worked up in a service to walk an aisle, you can be worked down in a church and walk out the doors. And that is what we're seeing the fruits of today. But those who truly believe and those who truly belong remain with Him. Preacher, are you saying nobody can ever... I'm not saying people can't get down in the situations... I'm not saying people do not become unfaithful and do things they shouldn't do. We see that in the Scriptures, John, Mark, and Paul. and uh, people. Look at Peter's life. I, I've always admired the life of Peter. He is up one day, down the next. But the, you remember what the Lord said to him? When you're converted, you're going to strengthen your brethren. A different take on the word there. But whenever you mature and whenever you, you become what I've designed you to become, then you're going to be a blessing to the church and the cause of Christ. And he did exactly that, didn't he? But the thing we need to look at today and ask ourselves is about true biblical conversion. The heart of conversion, the very essence of true salvation, is a changed life. Being regenerated, being born again, is turning. Now the New Testament describes that in all sorts of ways. Listen to Ephesians 2.1, And you hath he quickened, 
who were dead in trespasses and sin. You get the same kind of language when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus used terms like being born again or being born from above. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2.9, called out of darkness into His marvelous light. But no greater description of conversion than our text in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. These Thessalonians were really pagan idolaters. And most of this congregation was Gentile, pagans. But you see, here in America, and especially here in the Bible Belt, we have trouble thinking of ourselves as sinners. We're good people in our minds. Been raised right. Our way of life is right. And really, we're just kind of glad the Lord made us who we are. And, you know, thank you, Jesus, for helping me over the hump. That's not how conversion begins. Conversion begins by you through the Scripture and the work of the Spirit of God Seeing yourself for who you really are, as the Scriptures say. I have trouble with some of my preacher brethren, and we talk about this. When they quote Ephesians, that I just quoted in Ephesians 2, 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, and they say, we're not completely dead. Well, you've got to take that word and throw it completely out of the Bible, along with the Greek word underneath it, if you're going to say, we're not completely dead. Friend, when you come in this world, you're dead. you are dead in trespasses and sin. There is no life in you whatsoever spiritually. As in Adam, we all die. We do physically. We die too. But we are spiritually dead. And we don't need a resuscitation. We don't need somebody to come by and just revive us for a few minutes. You don't revive a dead man. A dead man only has one hope, and that's resurrection. He must have life. And life comes from Jesus Christ. No greater description of conversion than our text. These people were really pagan idolaters. They were idol worship. And they turned from these idols to serve the true and the living God. And all of us struggle with idolatry. Idolatry is a fundamental sin. Idolatry is a foundational sin of every one of us. We have to fight that all of our life. Before conversion, even after conversion, we have to deal with that. Can it be said about you that you have turned to serve the living God? That you have turned from your idols to serve the living God? What did God say right out of the gate on Mount Sinai? Thou shalt what? Have no other gods before me. We must be converted. We must be changed. And one of the most precious epistles in the Bible that speaks to the family of God is 1 John these were written that you might know that you've believed on the Son of God. Such a precious epistle. If you remember, that's the first book I preached through when I came here as your pastor, was the book of 1 John. We preached through that. And do you remember the last verse? Do you remember how that precious book that talks about knowing you're saved and knowing the family of God and living in fellowship with one another and with Christ and, and to love Him and how he, he bestowed His love upon us? Do you remember how that little epistle ends in 1 John 5, 21? He says this, just boom, little children, Keep yourselves from idols. John knew that. Conversion is not just a turning from, but it's a turning to. Did you notice that in the text of 1 Thessalonians 1.9? You turn to God from idols. 
You're not just turning from something, you're turning to God. We have a society that wants to quit drinking, that wants to quit fornicating, that wants to quit doping, that wants to quit lying, that wants to quit this and quit that and quit all of these things. Conversion is when you turn from sin to the living God. You don't just turn away from something. That's just a fleshly reformation. You must turn to the living God. And that's what these Thessalonians did, and that's what conversion is. They turned to serve the living God. And notice the conjunction and in verse 10. Not only did they turn to God from idols, but they also turned to do something else. They turned to wait for His Son from heaven. They turned to wait for His Son from heaven heaven if we're saved this morning thank god we sung about it on how great thou art a while ago our blessed hope is our lord is going to return and one reason not the only reason but one reason i gathered here with you this morning is because all of us who are saved who profess to be saved if we're truly saved we're waiting we're waiting on the son of god he's coming and we're gathered here today. I came to meet with you because someday you and I are all going to meet with Him. That's our blessed hope. Conversion is about turning from your sin to the living God and then waiting for His Son from heaven whom God raised from the dead and He's going to deliver us from the wrath that's coming. You see, in this passage in Acts 15 and here in 1 Thessalonians, the gospel is being made visible in the church. And the gospel is being shared by people who have been converted. In the case of Acts 15, it's being shared by persecuted believers and pagan Gentiles are getting saved. And you cannot share the gospel wordlessly because the gospel is an announcement. If you've still got your passage open there in 1 Thessalonians, look back at verse 8. Paul said, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Did you notice that word sounded out? From you sounded out, Paul said, the word of the Lord. It means it rang out. It reverberated. In other words, their converted lives was like a megaphone. It was like an amplifier. Their converted lives was sounding out the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in the church, we are to see the effects of the gospel at work in our lives through turning and conversion. And in that sense, the church makes the gospel visible. That's why we're here. We're not here to toot our horn. We are here to sound out the gospel that changed us. That's what we are to be declaring. In our passage in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas was declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And in our passage in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, Paul is commending the Thessalonians and glorifying God for turning them, converting them from pagan idolaters to true servants of the living God. That is just a scratch of what biblical conversion is. Do you believe? I just read it. Do you believe? The gospel made a difference in the lives of the Gentiles in Acts 15. Do you believe that? It's right there in the text. That's what it says, isn't it? Do you believe that? Yes, I believe it because the Bible said it. I also believe it because it was real, because it was causing a problem up there in Jerusalem with them Jews who didn't want them Gentiles who wasn't circumcised. If their conversions wasn't real, 
it wouldn't have been a problem. But it's real, and so it was a problem. Do you believe the gospel made a difference in the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10? I do. I believe it made a difference. Paul said that the gospel had sounded out and reached down not only Macedonia and Achaia, but this gospel was spreading in their lives because they had been converted, and they had been converted from idols to serve the living God, and now they are waiting for the Lord to return from heaven. The very same Jesus that God raised from the dead. Now my question to you this morning is, has the gospel changed you? There is no way that any of us will ever figure out or know for a surety if the gospel has changed others. We will be able to look at some things and either maybe say, yeah, it looks like it, or no, it doesn't look like it. But the issue right now is, has the gospel changed you? Has the gospel turned you from who you were into someone new? Well, thank God it can, and it can this morning. It can this very moment. And that's what Isaiah said. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It's serious. It is, it is a sober and a and a very important thing. Oftentimes I hear preachers compare being a church member to being a member of the fire department or the Rotary Club or other agencies like that that serve in the community. And if you're, if you're a member of one of those things and you never show up, most of those people in their guidelines or bylaws, they will eventually deal with that, either take you off the roll or whatever. You say, well, that's the reason we all take people off the roll. no. That's a secular thing. Our issue is not about people just not showing up. Our issue is not about that. Our issue is, are they converted? Because only the converted really belong. Really belong. And the issue is, are you converted? But the minute you ask the people I described in the introduction of this message, the minute you ask them that, if, if I'm wrong on this, you tell me. But the moment you ask people who are living like that, the moment you ask them that, they will run to once saved, always saved, as quick as lightning. And they will tell you, I made a profession, and although it never changed my life whatsoever, I know I'm saved. Well, the Bible says otherwise. And we need to ask ourselves this morning, have we been changed? If you're here today and you're lost, thank God you can be changed. Let me close by reading from John's Gospel, chapter number 1. John's Gospel, chapter number 1. The Bible says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 11, talking about Jesus, He was in the world Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you're listening to me this morning, unconverted, 
as many as received Him, as many as will believe the gospel, He will give power, not dynamite power here, but He will give authority for you to become a son of God, for you to become a child of God when you believe on His name. And that doesn't happen by the will of your flesh. It doesn't happen because you were born in this through your bloodline. And it doesn't happen because of the will of man. It's not about you on your own. This is of God. He is the only one who can convert. Thank God for conversion. Since every man needs to be changed, then thank God, God made a way for man to be changed. And that's through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me say this. You say, well, preacher, just because somebody comes and sits in a church for 40 years doesn't mean they're saved either, right? Right. Right. There must be a changed life. It must be a changed life. Conversion is how we enter into the church. No other, no other way. No other way. When I came here, when Kim and I came here from my former pastor, we came and united with this church. I don't know if you remember that or not, but we did. And so this church, our church clerk, Miss Gail, sent a letter to the church we came from. Our church there sent a letter here saying that we were in fellowship with them and with God and that we were faithful members there. And this church accepted that letter. When I came there, my second pastorate, from my first pastorate, they did the same thing. When I went to my first pastorate, from my home church, they sent to my home church, and there's the roots of where it's at because there is where I was converted. There is where I was baptized. That is where I repented. That is where I put faith in Christ. And that is just a record of conversion. Had this church got a letter back from my former pastor and said, Well, he only preaches once every four or five months. We're having a hard time even getting him to come to church. As a matter of fact, we're rejoicing today because you folks have called him. That would not have been a very good letter, would it? But, in good old Baptist fashion, if I'd have told you, once saved, always saved, and I've just hit a bad spot, most Baptist churches would have felt sorry for me and took me in. Maybe not as pastor, but you'd have felt sorry for me. I think our real heart ought to be broken over the issue of conversion. Never do we want to press anybody to make a second conversion. Lord, no, that makes things worse. Than, but, but look at what has happened. Wesley Lord, we can't. you can put blinders onto this if you want to and say this isn't us, but this is us. I told you when I came here, this is us. Preacher, I wish you'd talk about other churches. I like the amen when they go bad. I know. But this isn't about them. This is about us. But more than that, this is about the people we love. This is about many of our blood relatives. These, this is about children that many of you brought into the world and you raised. This is about mothers and dads that you will see today. This is about neighbors and friends that you once, you once were a part of with here in this church. And listen, the sad thing about this, if the Scriptures is right, and they always are, 
then when these people die, they die lost without Christ. Preacher, if I ask them about their conversion, they're going to get angry with me. Then you can rest assured they're lost. I have never got angry with anybody that asked me about my salvation. If they're truly saved, you're glad to share that. Amen? You're glad, you're glad to witness to God's goodness. This is about us. Father, I thank you this morning for these two passages, just two simple couple verses. Thank you for the conversion of the Gentiles that opened up a new era, opened up a new way. Lord, and is dem demonstrating how God's grace reaches all men. Thank you for those pagans, those idolaters of which we are the same in Thessalonica that you turned, Lord, they turned from their idols to serve the living God and they are now, they were patiently waiting. And Lord, that is us who have truly been saved. And I pray that for all of us here this morning and all of us listening, others listening by other means, that you will search our hearts through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, Lord, that we will know our conversion that we will remember those days or those moments of repentance and then those days when we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We may not know, have known those words, but Lord, we know, Father, from Scripture that we belong to You. Lord, I pray today specifically for our church membership here. Lord, for everyone who has in some time in the past identified with this church, made a profession of faith, followed through in public baptism, and for a period of their life attended and worshipped and was a part of this, Lord, only You know where they stand with You. Help us to love them enough to pray for them. Help us to love them enough to ask them. Help us to love them enough to see if there's something that they're missing, a truth, the gospel, Maybe a word that would bring them to repentance or a word that would help them. Maybe some who are, uh, Lord, truly converted, but because of grief or because of, of hurt or whatever, Lord, maybe uh, they're disappointed or discouraged. But help us, Father, to be concerned about them. Uh, Lord, this is our mission field here. Thank you for what we do all around the world. But, Lord, what a sad day it would be for us to stand in heaven as this local church and be given credit for sending millions of dollars around the world, and then have two or three hundred people that we know and are kin to die lost without Christ because somehow we failed to preach the gospel to them or failed to point them to Christ for true conversion. I pray you'd work this in our heart. Work this in us. Now, Lord, if anyone leaves here today with pride, thinking they're right and others are wrong, then convict them. Convict me if that gets in. Lord, this isn't about us being better than anyone. We're all recipients of your mercy. And these people that we're talking about, Lord, these are people, Lord, that you sent your Son to die for on the cross. So help us. Lord, open my heart and help us all today, I pray. And I pray that some would be converted. I pray that all who are unconverted would be converted. I pray for some who may be converted, but for whatever reason has laid down their cross and walked away from Christ. I pray they would return in repentance, not to us, Lord, but to you, and be able to serve and live their lives. Lord, they've lost many years, but Lord, may you be Lord of what's left. And I know you will because you have done that with all of us. I thank you this morning for the privilege to be here. 
Thank you for being able to sing together, for being able to study your word together, for being able to pray together, rejoice together, give our offerings together. Now, Lord, you help us as we leave from this place to leave in one heart and mind, praying for the unconverted of our church family, and then praying for the converted that each of us may serve you and patiently wait for your coming. Save these young people and children when they come to that point in life that they see their sinfulness, they realize their need of repentance. I pray, Lord, they would bow before you, call upon your name, and be saved. Help us today, we pray. Lord, I do want to tell you again that I love you, and thank you for saving me. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for making me a part of your family. Take your word today and use it for your glory and your honor. We'll thank you and praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.